How's everybody today? It's almost summer. Might feel like it now. I mean, Abington Heights graduation this past Friday night. You met our graduates last week, and uh, though that's not quite official, next Sunday is Father's Day, right? So uh, that, that kind of is really close, and uh, we're going to do uh, parent-child dedication next Sunday morning. We've got We've got a slew of kids coming up here, so uh, I, I, I forget the number, but you get the idea, right? There's a, there's a bunch of them, and uh, we're excited about that. Always an opportunity to, to encourage our families and their kids uh, together as we do that. But uh, this morning, as you already heard, it was on our emails, we're beginning a new series on the book of Jude. And... Um, I would encourage you as we get started in this uh, for a number of weeks to, to take the time each week to read through two or three times. It's only 25 verses, not a long book. Um, so read through it on your own. I'd encourage you also to read through Second Peter. Uh, that's only three chapters, and there are a lot of similarities. You'll catch that as you read through both books, but uh, it will be a help and encouragement to you to get a, a drift uh, of what's going on, and as we move through the book of Jude, you'll see the references, and we'll talk certainly about Second Peter, but uh, just as we do that, a way that this will be more helpful to you, I hope, as you spend time uh, preparing your heart and mind uh, by knowing exactly what's going on in the book of Jude or the letter that Jude wrote. So I don't know if you are familiar with stealth aircraft at all or that term stealth. It wouldn't be if you've flown from uh, Scranton to Chicago or Charlotte, North Carolina or wherever, you would never have ridden on one. One of these, right? Uh, I don't know if anybody, some, some of you have been in this uh, military and maybe had the opportunity, but uh, this is a stealth fighter jet and there are stealth bombers also. And the whole idea of stealth is simply stealth aircraft are designed uh, to avoid detection using a variety of technologies. They call it stealth technology. And, and I found this big, long quote that talks about all of how they do that. But basically, they're flying through the air. Those things, I mean, fast, loud, and yet they're undetectable. Uh, there's another acrostic, L-O, low observability. You don't observe them. You don't see them. You don't hear them. And somehow they don't show up as a blip on the radar. I don't know how that works, but that's the technology. The book of Jude was written because false teachers had secretly slipped in amongst the churches. Stealthily crept in amongst God's people and among true believers without them being aware to destroy the faith that was once for all delivered to God's people. That's how some would translate today that secretly slipped in. They stealthily snuck in whether it was the back door or the window or wherever they did, but uh, they were not detected. And Jude, in this letter, is passionately calling for believers to step up and fight for the truth. 
And as we talk about the book of Jude, contend for the faith, we're going to focus on the that theme, that purpose for which Jude wrote that letter as we dive in. So the believers to whom Jude wrote, we don't know that there was a church. There's not a church listed. We don't know, but he obviously was writing to believers and probably more Jewish than not, but certainly there would have been Gentiles amongst that mix. And as we go through this letter, you'll see the Jewish references that Jude is not afraid of talking about. Therefore, his audience is going to understand that. There's no question that they would have had a good understanding of Old Testament Israel and the history and all of what was going on. But they had no idea that there were wolves in the sheepfold if we can put it that way. This is, it wasn't a new problem. It's always been there. Israel fought that, but it was happening in the church through which Jude was writing, the church as the believers at that point. And folks, false teachers have been around since the first century. They are here today. They are continuing to be active today in our world, in our culture, not just in the United States, but around the world. And as we think about that, I believe it is obvious that these false teachers have stepped up their stealthy activity. Now, you may need to get used to that word because we're going to see it throughout this letter. And uh, as they've stepped that up, they've certainly stepped up their, the attacks, the attacks of the false teachers on God's truth. And we see it in our country every day. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, as Jesus was ending his Sermon on the Mount, he said this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will know them. By the way they live, by the way they talk, by what they produce, you will know who the false prophets, the false teachers are. And so as we think about this, it, Jesus warned believers at that point. We talked about a, a month or so ago now, deconstruction, about those who are walking away from the church, those who are deconstructing their faith, tearing it down, tearing it apart, who are walking away from their faith and the relationship with Jesus Christ. These false teachers that Jesus was warning about, that Jude is writing about, are seeking to lead God's people away from the truth. They're seeking to get people, get a crowd to follow them in deconstructing, in tearing down their faith and walking away from the person of Jesus Christ. Timothy also, as we talked about deconstruction in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy talks about, in, in the first five verses, you can read through that at a later time, but verse 1, he says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot, hot iron. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the first five verses 
Paul starts this way, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, grateful, unholy, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul is warning Timothy to get the message out back then. We need to hear it today. He says, have nothing to do with such people. Stay away from them. This is the concern that Jude is writing about as we begin our study today in the book of Jude, Jude's letter. So let's dive right in. And if you have your Bibles open to the book of Jude, it's all the way near the end of your Bible. You got Revelation, right? I think many know where Revelation is. The last book in your Bible, and just right before Revelation begins, you'll find uh, Jude's letter to the believers as he wrote, and uh, if you would like to use one of our Bibles in the seats in front of you, underneath the seat in front of you, page 860, if you need a Bible, it's there, or in your tablet, your phone, however you're following along in the Word of God. So as we begin, it's just a real simple outline in these first four verses. The first two verses are simpling, a simply the opening, Jude's opening as he's writing this letter and he starts this way, verse one, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He's identifying himself. I'm the one. Jude is writing two, two things he says about himself. I'm a servant. I'm a servant. And this isn't just your ordinary word uh, like diaconus, the word we use for deacon. It's not that. It's a word that we use. It's doulos. It means bond slave. That's a serious serving word. It's one who gives himself up to the will of another. And in that Roman culture at that time, in their slavery, nothing like what we knew slavery here in the 1800s and the Civil War and all that, that's not even close to the kind of slavery this was. This was there certainly was abuse, but, but many times slavery was part of the way people made their living, living. But the idea would have been one who gives himself up to the will of another. It signifies a relationship in which Somebody is under complete authority, complete authority and control of another, utterly and absolutely at the disposal of someone else. In this case, Jude is saying, I as a servant of God am utterly and completely at the disposal. I am under the authority and control of Jesus Christ without qualification, without any conditions whatsoever. Man, we, we could park there all morning here because folks, we who know Jesus are servants of God. Utterly, completely, without condition, without question, without any qualification whatsoever under the, at the disposal of Jesus Christ. Are you that today? Are we that today as we serve our God? Secondly, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. A brother of James. And we don't know exactly why he would identify himself that way. There's five James in the New Testament. And actually, the name would be Judas. 
Um, not a great name after we know Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, right? Uh, it would not be him, uh, but Jude, the brother of James. And, and that helps to identify a little bit more who he really is. James became a follower of Jesus after the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We know that before the resurrection, there were four half-brothers that uh, Mary and Joseph had of Jesus, right? Four half-brothers. James was one of those. He, they were not believers. We find out that after Jesus died on the cross, he was buried. He rose again, proving he was the Son of God, proving he was the promised Messiah, proving he was the Savior of all who would believe. And he rose from the dead as he said he would. And one of the things we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we call it the resurrection chapter, verse 7, we're told that in all the people that Paul tells us that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to, he says in verse 7, and he appeared to James. We don't have record of when that happened. We don't know why, but, but we believe it's at that point that most likely James came to know Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do you know his life has changed? Because James is the one who became the first pastor, the lead pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. He was the leader. Check it out. Read through the book of Acts and you'll find it talked about. James is also the one who wrote the book of James or the letter to James. Just if you kept going back towards the middle of your Bible, you'd find uh, you'd go through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then you'd go to 1st and 2nd Peter. And then I'm trying to quote the books of the Bible backwards here. If you're, uh, It's like, well, okay, well, I, well I'm going to get stuck. But then James. And that's the same James who wrote that is the James that is the brother of Jude, the Jude identifies himself with. And this makes Jude then a half-brother of James, but it makes him a half-brother of Jesus. You say, well, why didn't he say that? Wouldn't you think that would have carried some power and authority in his letter and caused people to read it more and listen and pay attention? Well, Obviously, that's not what would have happened because Jude didn't identify himself that way. A little connection to Jesus, but it was like, hey, this is who I am and I'm a servant. So then he writes, he, he identifies the recipients, those to whom he's writing. He says, verse 1, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Three descriptions He's writing to the crowd, to these people, the recipients of the letter. Number one, he's writing, obviously, they're believers because he says, first of all, to those who've been called. What are we talking about? Called. Invited? Well, not really, yes, but not, not invited in the sense you can decide to respond or not, or not respond. But this is God's sovereign call to salvation. That's the call that we're talking about. It's his electing grace. Actually, it's the idea that God chose us 
We sometimes hear the word election or anything like that in, in Scripture, and all of a sudden we get nervous because it's God's choice of us. And, and we who like to have choices think, wait a minute, God chose me? Well, yes, but he says, you've got to believe. You've got to respond. But God chose those who are saved. And if you know Jesus today, God chose you. If you do not know Jesus today, the invitation is there. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And if you trust Jesus Christ, you'll find out you will be one of God's chosen people. That's what he's talking about. If you remember back when we went through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth in Greece. And Paul says in verses 23 and 24, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called. To those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, that's everybody, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. They're preaching Christ because God has called those to be saved to respond to the power of Jesus Christ on the cross when he died and gave his life and shed his blood for the payment of our sin. He took our penalty and he forgave us. When? And only when we believe and receive that gift, when we respond to his call. Paul said it elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. He says this, for he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose you to salvation. That's great news. That's great news if you know Jesus. It's great news if you don't. Because you can respond. You can believe. Called. Then he says, who are loved in God the Father. Oh, man. Here's, a, here's another thought we could spend the rest of the morning. Just the, wrapped up in the love of God. Wow, we know John 3, 16, God so loved the world. If you've ever watched a, a, a college or professional football game or baseball game or basketball game, you always see it right in the middle of the goalpost or you see it right behind the basket and the basket, you know, it's there. John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus Christ that whoever believes won't perish but will have everlasting life. That's what we're talking about. God's love, we are constantly loved by God and the grammar for that word loved indicates that it was made known in the past God's love was made known in the past but it continues to be evident in the present always God doesn't stop loving ever aren't you glad of that God's love constantly loved by God. Paul said it this way. We looked at Ephesians chapter 1, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, after he talked about that we are as human beings born dead in sin. Dead in sin. On our way to hell and eternal hell because of that sin. Verse 4, but... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. See, Paul said, you were dead in sin. But because of God's great love, he made us alive in Christ. Man, 
I don't think I heard an amen. amen. <laughs> Come on, folks. Are you with me? Amen. All right. Thank you. I mean, you think about that right there. That's God's mercy, not giving us what we deserved. We were dead and he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, sins, it is by grace you have been saved. Called, loved, and kept. It just keeps getting better. Kept. You ever wonder as a believer when you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can you ever lose that salvation? There are those who think so because they think that's based on how they feel. You ever have one of those days you don't feel like getting out of bed? Of course, we all do, right? And, and, and you don't, you're not looking forward to you had a bad day the day before. You, you know it's not going to get, get any better this next day and you just want to hide and stay put. People all over this country are struggling with depression. In fact, they tell us that at least one third have increased that during the whole COVID craziness and, and, and all of that that's going on. Listen, folks. We don't ever have to worry about losing our salvation because when we're told 